You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McCuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello there and welcome to the show. Stuart Goldsmith here and I apologise for the delay. I'm sorry I've left you alone for an extra week. Uh, I've been working on my Edinburgh show. It's July. Things have been getting mental. Um, so uh, let's go straight into a chat with Alan Cochran, who is one of my best friends in comedy, and I'm very proud to call him that. Uh, he's just an absolutely riveting performer, and like so many great comics, maybe doesn't have quite the recognition that his talent and his craft and his massive ability really deserve. So uh, here is Alan Cochran. <laughs> Let me tell you, why, why don't we start by me telling you about my shit day? Okay. Because normally, uh, I was no, I've, been, I've made notes of things that I'd like to talk to you about, and one of the things okay. you're great at is talking me out of having had a shit gig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've okay. got I've many fond memories of having had a horrible gig and having told you about it, and you being very good at yeah. helping me through that. Well, I think it's good to have someone to do that with, definitely. Um, and I think... You know, loads of it is just getting over that and on to the next one, isn't it? It's much easier if your next gig is the next day, I think. Yeah. That's why it's sort of... But what what exactly can I help you with well, I'll on t- your I'll podcast? I'll tell you. It's <laughs> <laughs> meant to be all about you. Yeah, it is. It starts <laughs> off being all about me. I feel that's a good way to relax myself, as if it's all about me for a bit. I did a, a gig last night and I died horribly. Yeah. And it was uh, an hour of silence. And as I was saying before, I've... Uh, I've recorded 12 minutes of my reaction to it afterwards uh-huh. for, for future release. But you also told me that you've recorded the actual gig. Yes. And I think... Um, I, I sometimes worry about the wisdom of recording gigs, but on really bad ones, I think there's sometimes a benefit to listening back to it because almost always when you listen back to it it's slightly better than your recall of it is because during it you're doing the death of a thousand cuts thing and, and they're all digging in but you told me you got four laughs and I bet if you in listen, an hour Alan I'll in bet, an hour yeah but I bet if you listened to it you would have got like 
20 laughs and 8 titters oh, or whatever I, and you just you, you slightly pollute it by the fact you're feeling terrible then your memory of it and similarly I think listening to gigs where you think you've stormed and you go this is just full of half laughs all the way through I'm an idiot that my ego just completely got that is absolutely the case I'm forever doing that I'm forever um, I'm forever listening back to ones that I thought were amazing yeah and it's just my ego we got onto this because my voice sounds weird because my voice hasn't dropped back down into my body and I'm just noticing it because again you've now. been sobbing since it's not, I've not been sobbing I've not been sobbing <laughs> I, I have sobbed I've sobbed in front of you in the past god I, I think it'll probably be um, okay it will no it will but this was it was an unusual try gig. and think of a minute within that gig that you actually thought oh this is it like, look for one good thing in it find it and then get rid of it and in then move on just literally look for the one good bit that you did last night that you liked how it went and then get rid of the whole of the rest yeah I think the best bit that happened was at one point that, that it was someone in the audience accused me of having a go at the audience and I said yes if you can call yourself that <laughs> I was quite pleased with that take it back, didn't, it didn't get a laugh because the rest of your that's funny that's fine I think you can do that we've talked about Lombardi before haven't we um, yeah we have tell us about tell us about Lombardi oh, Lombardi's the sports coach and when he became coach of uh, I think it was the Green Bay Packers that he was uh, like the most successful with and the uh, he apparently uh, stopped them watching videos of plays that they hadn't done well in. Mm-hmm. They only watched the successful ones. So you can sort of see how that would have an impact. If you only ever see yourself doing a thing well, that's sort of how you visualise it in your head and think about it, which is why I think it's worth looking for the good in a bad gig. Yeah. And also I think you know, sensibly looking for the bad in a good gig is probably... But they don't do that. Sports people aren't trying to be balanced, are they? They're trying to be awesome. Balanced. Okay. What? I was I was halfway through formulating a thing, and then that uh, uh, that reminded me of a thing. And don't worry, I'll cut out all my shit as well. Okay. <laughs> um, sportsmen aren't trying to be balanced. You're. Do you think you're balanced as a comedian? Like, do you think the job of comedy is to? Be. I know. I, I tell you what. Here, here's a thing, Alan. Yeah. I know something that winds you up. Yeah. Is when comedians are constantly affirmative towards their audience. Yeah. And they tell the audience how great it's going. Yeah. That to me seems like an example of something without balance. Yeah. Is I that agree. are you in a similar thing? Well, I think what it is is if they're if they're that affirmative and and not particularly interesting. If you tell them, hey guys, you're a great crowd but all you ever say is stuff that's resolutely unchallenging well of course they're a great crowd because it's fucking easy for them to be a great crowd because you're the most sugary boring shit they've ever seen but really what you ought to be saying is here's something that you might not like but you're a great crowd (laughs) (laughs) And, and give them the horror show stuff not that I'm suggesting that it has to be that way for comedy but yeah I'd I do find sometimes people are... I think the real bugbear that I have is a falseness in comedy, and there are a series of tricks that you can do to make audiences like you or go with you or to almost channel them in that way that... It's like funnel sales pitches, isn't it, where all the answers they give lead to them buying the fucking toilet brush or whatever it is. 
and I think there's ways of doing that with stand-up of hey you guys are a great crowd I don't normally tell this bit to audiences but you guys have been so great yeah. here's my shitty stuff about ginger people yeah. <laughs> do fuck off <laughs> you know what I mean so yeah I, I may have grumbled to you about acts being falsely affirmative in the past but that's yeah. because I think don't cheat it's such an interesting thing to try and do well what's the point in cheating because then you just become a shit act like just try and be good at it so we're going to be hearing a lot from alan today um a fascinating critique that he has of the uh, the culture in stand-up of telling your audience how great they are uh, that's very interesting that's a lot of fun um this is really all of alan's work is a masterclass in in quality control and indeed texture in in finding jokes from i'm not i was going to say finding jokes where where you wouldn't expect to find them and that's certainly true but also finding humor from the there's finding humor in subtlety that's what alan's really good at he, he's just he, his work is fascinating i really urge you to check him out um apologies there is a building site in the background um there will be occasional violent lurches in the background and at one point literally a dude hitting a bit of metal with a hammer um alan is very uh he's very on the ball regarding oh no i've done something awful i was going to say he's on the ball regarding sporting metaphors but that wasn't a deliberate awful pun um, but he's got some really interesting ideas about adapting uh, sporting motivational training kind of uh, aphorisms to coping with life as a comedian. Um, we're going to talk about the, the comedy industry uh, and its existence or not. And uh, there's lots and lots of really good technical stuff about how Alan develops a routine. So I, I think you're really going to enjoy that. Um, there is some extra content for this one. We've got about 25, half an hour uh, of extra stuff that you can download for free. So listen out at the end. Uh, hello to David Whitney. That's the other little admin thing I've got to do. It was David who asked the question that I referred to in last week's show about tax deductions for tubby comedians. His words. Uh, the next one, which is going to be Liam Malone, finally, has been a bit of a backlog. Uh, Liam Malone's podcast that is going to come out during the Edinburgh Festival with luck, if I can, if I can get it together whilst also finalising the, the details of my Edinburgh show. Uh, I'm just going to plug Liam's show very quickly here. It's called A Land Fit for Fuckwits. Have a look at that on edfringe.com. He is a genuinely talented writer with a real skill and a penchant for saying the unsayable. He's very, very exciting. So, so look out for that. That's Liam Malone. Uh, and on the subject of tickets for Edinburgh, needless to say, tickets for Prick, my own solo show, are also available. That's 7.30pm in the Pleasance Courtyard every night, apart from the 15th. Um, there might have been a delay to this podcast, but as a result, uh, Prick is looking very shiny indeed. I'm not bound under the terms of the bargain. I can do as many puns as I like. And of course, the live version of The Comedian's Comedian is at 12.15 lunchtime, Fridays, Saturdays and Sundays at the Gilded Balloon throughout the Fringe. Here at last, for those of you that haven't seen it on the website, is the full list uh, of who I'm going to be talking to. Very excited about these. Friday the 3rd, Saturday 4th and Sunday 5th, we've got Sarah Pascoe, Fred McCauley and Josh Widdicombe. Friday the 10th is Alan Davies. Saturday the 11th is The Boy With Tape On His Face. That's going to be really interesting. And I, I don't know that I've ever heard Sam talk about how he, how he makes his work, uh, which, of course, is all silent. 
Sunday the 12th, Abandaman, so some hip-hop rappers. Rob Broderick seems to be terribly worried about the uh, forthcoming chat and worrying that he's not going to have much to say. He could not be more wrong. That's going to be brilliant. Friday the 17th, The Wonderful Pappies. Saturday the 18th, Hannibal Burris. I've recently downloaded his latest album, Animal Furnace. Just fantastic again. Uh, Sunday the 19th, The Glorious Eddie Pepitone. His Eddie Pepitone and Alan uh, Davies and Rod's shows are all selling very, very quickly, so jump on that fast. Friday the 24th is Rod. Saturday the 25th is Terry Alderton, superb Terry Alderton. And Sunday the 26th, uh, the final show, we have a mystery guest. So, yes, uh, Eddie, Alan and Rod all selling very quickly, but I think some of my less well-known guests as well uh, are people whose acts I know in some depth, people I've worked with for a long time. So I think we can look forward to some really penetrating, wrong word, uh, interesting conversations. So that's enough guff, as I'm fond of saying. Pin back your lug holes and enjoy the rest of my chat with Alan Cochran. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. You've got very high you've got very high standards. You're I think in your own material as well. You're very very critical of right. your own material. Do you think that's true? Uh, yeah, totally. Like you, you don't let yourself get away with things. You've got, I'll tell you what, another way of putting it, you've got really good quality control. Right. Well, that's nice. I, I, have, um, I have constant doubts about that. I think I'm a much more natural performer than writer. Um, and I sort of performed a lot at school and I've gone into stand-up. But, but I've always been really drawn to funny people and funniness, like funny bones. I love... I've loved comedy since I was a kid, um, but really, I kind of think I probably try and work on my material because that's, if anything, my naturally weaker arm. Um, but I actually think sometimes, like if I've got a TV gig coming up and they say, "Oh, what stuff are you going to do?" I can easily look at my stuff and think there are no jokes in this. This is all mm-hmm. shit. Um, and weirdly, there's. There's various points in my turnover. Like, if I have a new bit that's working, it tends to work for a, a little while while I'm excited about it, and the performing version of me can kind of get by on a bit of dimples and charisma and going, hey, this is a thought I had on a train the other day, isn't this stupid? Mm-hmm. But then there's a point after that where I'm not as in love with the new idea and then it actually has to have good jokes in it. Otherwise, I have to drop it because the audience are just looking going, well, this is just a thing you thought on a train. What's the punchline? Um, and really, that's sort of... that becomes a second wave where I need to add actual gaggy surprises in it. OK. And that's when my stuff gets quite strong, I think, when I actually go, oh, OK, well, you've had the initial idea and now you're over the sort of, ooh, what about this? And then you go, now it needs what I think of as punchlines but often don't really look like them but you know what I mean is that, and is that reflected in how you 
in, in like the life of a bit say say you're seeing a bloke eating a peach on a train bit yeah which is something that you are known for like, and, and I think it's you're, you're known for it as well I think it's kind of a signature bit because it's such a tiny tiny little observation uh huh such a mundane thing that most people wouldn't even notice right really kind of like with completely unpacked as a subject and I think that's very that's right. very you yeah yeah you're a lot more likely to do or that, that seems to resonate with what I think of as Alan Cochran yeah more than say a bit about cats and dogs well that bit in particular I mean alright let's use that as an example of my stand up process sure. if you like that bit started as a text message because I was sitting opposite a man who ate a peach and drank a full can of Red Bull in three gulps, and I texted my wife, "Who does this? What, <laughs> what kind of guy is like? What's his diet like? You know, sort of, you know, stupid banter back and forth. What, what kind of shits does he do? You yeah. know, and uh, and then I mentioned it to somebody else, and they said, "What kind of day is he expecting?" <laughs> and I thought, well, that's a funny line on top of it. And so that ended up in the routine. And then it just gradually became that I was talking about peaches and Red Bull. But then there was a point where it went from okay to being sort of actually exciting to do. And that point was where one night I was doing it and I somehow mentioned I rarely eat a peach anywhere but standing over my own kitchen sink with peach juice running down my chin. And that, unbeknown to me, got like this massive resonating That joined with everyone, didn't it? Who would have thought, though? Yeah. But I didn't do it on purpose. I was just talking about peaches and it came out. And so then that became part of the routine. And then for a little while, there was a bit where I talked about uh, the first time in your life you see another person eat an apple core. Oh, yeah, okay, and, yeah. And as a kid, you go, what the... The rules have changed. I thought you were meant to leave that bit. You know, what are you going to eat next? Your shoe? The yeah, clock? Yeah. <laughs> you know. And, uh, and I think there was also some jokes in there about somebody eating the skin of a pineapple. I can't really remember all of them. But that's pretty much the evolution of my stuff. It will start as a thought on a train or in life. And then there will be some added jokes to it. And then there will be a sort of a tipping point which was about the point I was talking about pineapples and apple mm -hmm. cores, and then it sort of shrinks back to the basic okay. stuff. And at what point are you at the writing desk during that, or are you? Uh, is, is that just like you, you, you see the thing, you have the funny idea, and then you go on stage and sort of loosely talk around it in a new material gig, or possibly, slip it between yeah. two good bits in a, in a, on a Saturday night? Or? Well, no, I've never been that good at stand-up that I slip it between two good bits or I look at my set list and think oh where's a place for this that peach on a train thing I probably did that night that mm -hmm. I'd seen it, probably at the very start of whatever gig I was doing I probably went on a went, I was on the train today and saw a man eat a peach and drink a full can of Red Bull and I never really I, I'm trying to get more controlled now because I used to die. <laughs> I, used, I used to die more frequently. And sometimes when I was younger, I can't believe this, but like I would be doing 10 minutes on the boat or something and, and they'd say, oh, there's, there's important people in. And I'd do whatever stuff I'd come up with that weekend and not realise that, hmm. you know. <clears throat> so I'm a bit more controlling now. But uh, That's quite a good place to do it at the top of a set, though, because that yeah. kind of draws on your kind of comparing gears yeah, to be able to improvise it in that kind of... You, know, yeah. you, you haven't done a really solid punchline before it, so it's got nothing to look bad against. Yeah, true enough. But I, uh, 
one of the best bits of advice stand up that I was given when I was sort of starting and it's especially good for new compares I think is don't forget to be funny at the start mm -hmm. because it's so easy as a new cop like say you've got a functioning 20 it's so easy to go on and dick about with the front row not really make any offers of anything that's properly funny in mm -hmm. your mind and then wonder why they're not laughing and you think be funny at the start and then dick about a little bit and let them know that you've made an offer even if they don't find it funny at least you've made an offer mm. so then you can kind of judge them as like oh well they didn't really like that train joke that I did right at the top so this lot might be a bit tough but if you haven't done it and you're just thinking this lot might be a bit tough you need to try jokes yeah. on them don't yeah you? yeah because then you can easily get into the groove of the compare seeing the compare go on not really be that funny mm -hmm. and then start having a go at them for not having totally. much energy this is a weird crowd well, what's wrong with you, you it's know? particularly easy to do if you've got one big bit that you really love that you're holding back for after the interval and mm -hmm. so and so you sort of and and it, it's really easy to do but actually I think making offers as early as possible is is, is not a bad thing so I, I would try and guard against going on and going oh this happened to me on the train today I should say it's not all about trains but <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that that bit. I think, I think I was doing an Edinburgh festival show and and really wanted it all to be dense with jokes. So even though it's a story, there should be surprises every second line kind of thing. So, um, you know, putting in the thing about eating it over the sink and kitchen roll, and then I think there might have even been a wanking joke. Uh, uh, and just continually putting in a new image so that mm -hmm. in the audience's head they're seeing this gallery of funny pictures one after the other. Okay. And, and I would actively at one point have sat down with a pen and paper, probably listening back to a recording of a preview the night before. I know because we moved house to Manchester and I was especially focused on I really need my stuff to be as funny as it can be this year. And so I used to record gigs and sit and... You know, sometimes you might have a, a drive back after a preview or something, and I would sit in in that kitchen with maybe a glass of wine and a pad and a pen and just listen to the preview that I'd done and almost listen to it slightly combatively, thinking all the way through it, you could have said something else funnier there. Yeah. Like, and just each thing, thinking, is there something else that I can say on top of that that's a bit funnier than that? And it... It just grows routines. This idea of a... It's quite a, tough love. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's it. That's what I mean. Quality control, tough love. Um, you're, this idea of a, a gallery of funny pictures. Mm. Tell me about that. I've never heard anyone describe it as, as that before. I just think, especially if you're telling a story, it's really easy to just tell a story that only has one picture in it. You saw a man eat a peach on a train. But, you know, if you're... If you're deft enough with language, you can go from that to seeing a person eat an apple core to seeing a person eat a broken up clock or something. You know, like mm -hmm. you're sort of trying to switch the pictures, like not quite like a cartoon, but but you know, I just think it's worth suggesting new ideas for them all the time, mm. so that you get jokes on the way to other jokes. Yeah, this is something um, I know you're a you're a fan as am I of Seinfeld. Yes, and the way uh, I think we've talked in the past about his uh, about how his routines like every line is a different angle on a subject yeah that's a similar sort of thing isn't it so yeah, the, the yeah. tags are rather than just being 
another funny version of what what the punchline was. Yeah, that his even his tags are a whole new angle, a whole new like looking at that thing from two seventy degrees and north. You yeah, know, looking at it somewhere. And else. it's in a way, it's um, I, I really admire one-liner comics, but. I can't do it because I want to wring the idea out for longer. So if I came up with like a really good, crisp one-liner, I'd sort of then want to talk about the next thought after it. Yeah. So it it doesn't suit me, but but in a way, the amount of comic invention is near enough the same. Like if you look at Stephen Wright's three minutes and look at Seinfeld's three minutes, there's probably the same number of ideas in it. It's just that Seinfeld's pretending they're all about horses or whatever. Yeah. But yeah. actually, he's just chucking in different jokes that are kind of about horses. But that, that it's also one of my slight bugbears that you know one-liner comics or surreal comics are given credit for invention and imagination. That if you're talking about pizza slicing, you don't really get because it's mm. all banal. But I'm quite drawn to the theatre of the banal. I quite like talking about life. It's it's fine, isn't it? Isn't it? Please tell me it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) We were talking about um, being funny straight away, not forgetting to be funny immediately. It reminded me of um, the first time I did The Creek or among the first times I did Up The Creek in in Greenwich slash Deptford. And I remember you, I remember very clearly, because you're someone that's given me a lot of advice over the years. Yeah, I shudder about that. Both solicited and unsolicited. (laughs) I'm not sure there's been that much unsolicited. I'm not one of those guys, I hope. No, 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 you're not. And we know each other very well. I'm not, you know what I mean? It's not like you go around handing out before you did stand up. Exactly, exactly. That's slightly different. But I wouldn't be one of those guys at the comedy store that an open spot comes off and says, okay, here's three things that you can do. Yeah, no, 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 God, no, no, no. But that thing about, um, I mean, that's another thing again of, of being, like, because you were friends with me and a comedian before I became a comedian, I can never be in your year at school. Yeah. You'll always be a sixth former. Like, even if I were. God forbid to suddenly have an incredibly glittering career and overtake you financially or something. Maybe, yeah. maybe book a suite at the Radisson. Because <laughs> yeah, but even On then, last minute. By I, the way, <laughs> I will go back to that tip as well. It's a good tip. <laughs> um, but even then, I know that you were you still outranked me. You were still a sixth form. Yeah, because you were going first. But sadly, one of the saddest things about show business is that there's no queue. Um, there is no queue, and and the thing that is distressing for uh, people like myself that are quite happy in a queue is that, is that <laughs> natural queue jumpers thrive in show business there is no queue I'm very there's keen no on this queue. idea there's no queue and there's also no industry uh, there's, or is it? There's no, no there's industry. no industry there's just a bunch of individuals trying to make really? a thing happen some people are working hard there must be some industry <laughs> yeah. but what I mean is I, I think it's in, let's talk about let's talk about the queue then the illusion of the queue it does feel like there's a there's a pathway when you start yeah you are not paid and you only do fives then you do sevens then you do tens then fifteens then twenties and then you're starting to get paid, hopefully by then, and then the money goes up and you start feeling yeah. like there's a path in front of you, you start feeling like there's a queue. Yeah. But as I've pointed out to you on many occasions, I'm the invisible man of comedy. Um, <laughs> if we talk about comedy school years, like my comedy school year, nobody seemed to notice that I was going from open spot to paid 10 to, there was paid 10s then, there aren't now, are there? Um, to 20s and then 
I was getting booked by the clubs and start even started doing like bits of TV warm up and did an Edinburgh show that was nominated for newcomer and got I think five stars in the list in the first week or the second mm. week and it was all exciting. That was probably the only time that people really noticed was my first Edinburgh show and since then it's kind of been an exercise in just getting on with it and trying for it to be as good as it can be because people noticing and getting excited isn't the end point is it it's for no. me to be a good stand-up like, that's the point for me you know it'd be great if people started chucking money and opportunity at me but in the absence of that being a good stand-up is the thing and in a weird way I think it's it's sort of what we're all chasing isn't it whether you're playing arenas or you know up the creek I think people are trying to be mm. good stand-ups um, so I try and convince myself not to worry too much about the industry that you tell me doesn't exist. <laughs> well, this is it. This is a conversation that we've had sort of back and forth a lot. And who I, I wonder, because I, I feel like I can see both sides of this. At the same time, I feel like I'm someone who has never had opportunities nor money thrown at him, who people haven't noticed. I've been doing fine, thanks. Right. But I don't feel like there's ever been any buzz about yeah. me. And... What is that quality? What is that that thing? Who are these people that you yeah, that yeah. need to be talking about you? Because at the same time, I can see it from a more kind of Buddhist perspective of going, you know, that's where I'm trying to come from. Is that there is no industry? There are no people talking about you. Name name an act with buzz, and he's probably he or she is probably looking at the next person and going, why can't I have that? I mean, presumably on yeah. some level, Ricky Gervais is thinking, why can't I be this? Yeah. Why can't I get what that guy, what that next guy has got, whoever yeah. that next person is? So I, I kind of, I, what I mean is, I sort of completely empathise with that. But what is it? Does it exist? I don't think so. And I hate to go back to I, more and more in in my life as a comic. I I draw comfort and parallel from sports psychology. <laughs> That's lovely. That's but, great. But they coached athletes in the in only worrying about what they can affect so the big example they always use is if you're a sprinter that runs badly in rain and you worry about it raining then you can't control whether or not it rains but you can control how good you are at running in the rain so worry about what you can affect mm. I heard one I met a former Olympian and she said oh control the controllables that's what they call that control the control so you can control how good your jokes are and how rested you are and you know, to a certain extent, how you look and if you're feeling happy for your show. But you can't really control whether or not somebody in an office is having a chat about you in a positive way and then trying to rubber stamp your career. Or maybe you can, but that's the bit of it that least interests me. I'm certainly not one of those comics that wakes up and thinks, oh, brilliant, I get to write a press release and send 300 emails to people that might give me an opportunity. I'm... Mm. I'm much more likely to think, oh, brilliant, I get to get up and uh, think about funny stuff about that thing that happened yesterday when I was, you know, walking mm. through the street. So I just think there's a certain amount of self-knowledge at work. Uh, I know that I'm not the guy that is knocking on people's doors going, hey, I've got this script so that you can make me a star. And so, you know, if I'm not asking them, what can I do? Just make sure that my jokes are all right hopefully and even then there are some people that cannot see the jokes in what I do you know there are some people that see that 
let's use that as my signature bit mm-hmm. <laughs> the peach and red bull and they just go this is just a thing that happened to them on a train I don't know why it's sure, funny sure. And, and that's perfectly fine I suppose I personally think there's loads of funny bits in it but you know I I also think one of the things is trying to uh, remind yourself of the sort of stand-up that you like and, and keep in mind that that stand-up has been approved if you like like I now sometimes go on YouTube and look at comics that I really like just just to get it in my head that hey it doesn't all have to be gag 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 it can just be funny and sometimes a bit dry and droll and, mm. and sometimes it can be a bit underpowered that's fine too mm-hmm. you know um, <laughs> reminds me of a, a wonderful line of yours I remember hearing years ago um, when you say uh, if people aren't laughing at the moment that's okay because that's texture oh yeah yeah and that's wonderful that's that's you that's a, such a signature line yeah see again that is somewhat the folly of youth because now I do think I'm uh, I think I'm less cocky about stuff like that maybe it's parenthood and you know responsibility and, and but I do think I'm much more inclined to just tell them the jokes and and get get moving on it these days not that I'm still I'm much faster tempo on telly if I have to do stand up for a recording I try and stuff it with jokes because my laconic delivery which can seem a bit charming live I think people just get a bit frustrated and think it's really baggy if they see it on Mm. telly I just think they think why is he taking this long Um, and I think that's why we've sort of got a generation you know, like McIntyre or Russell or Jack Whitehall, who do jump about and really mm. keep the gag content up high. Yeah. I wonder if they've all noticed that on telly it looks a bit slow. Yeah. So just keep I wondered that. It out. I wondered if that had something to do with, and I don't know in which order this might have happened, if it happened, but the way that Jimmy Carr became huge on TV, because he does a if you want a, if you're a producer and you want a five second joke. Jimmy can do you a joke that lasts five seconds. Yeah. If you want a 12-second joke, he's got hundreds of them as well. Yeah. And I wonder whether he knew that and aimed at that or whether that was a happy coincidence of the type of jokes he liked to do. Maybe. But actually, they're particularly useful on TV. Yeah. I, w- I wonder to what extent the the maybe combative environment of somewhere like Mock the Week uh-huh. is affecting the sort of jokes that are created now. Because every, all of these new people we were talking about, all of the guys that were... <laughs> pull up the ladder as Henning said uh, you know all these uh, all these people who are starting it now are just hundreds of thousands of people doing stand up um, they're all products of they all started doing stand up in a world in which Mock the Week right. was what stand up is yeah I mean regardless of your point I'm now having a, a a really morbid fantasy that there's hundreds of thousands of people starting stand up did I say oh, maybe I meant oh, hundreds or thousands <laughs> that maybe. seems too many yeah <laughs> oh please sorry that's trauma fantasy on my part <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um, <laughs> yeah I don't know I mean it's all it all comes in shifts doesn't it I suppose <laughs> suppose now that there's more comedians there's got to be more feeling invisible definitely definitely this is it i mean i, I just wonder what, what this is why i say there's no industry what what is there this thing there are so many people being brilliant and there's not enough room for all of the people being brilliant yeah. to be known to be brilliant and if you're someone that is brilliant and manages to make it and get famous and rich and stuff that's great yeah but equally if you're someone who's brilliant who doesn't get that how do you know that you're brilliant 
Yeah. You just have to believe in yourself. I mean, just we all need a, we all need a huge amount of self belief to stay good and keep going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's seriously, that's it. Yeah. Um, there was an article years ago that where they were interviewing Billy Connolly, and he said there was always room at the top. The middle and the bottom are overcrowded, aren't they? But there is always room at the top. That might be less true now that there's perhaps fifty people playing arenas. Yeah. <laughs> seems like well there can't be even that much room at the top anymore not that I think my uh, quiet observations on life are that suitable for arenas Where, what would you like to be doing if you could have anything in the world of comedy um, what what do you want uh, do you know what I I really struggle with this because what I wanted was to be a comedian When if you had told me the 17 year old me you will not have a job you will make money from being a comedian I would have not even asked at what level. I, I yeah. wouldn't have said, what, pub gigs? Or sure. <laughs> small-scale touring? Or, <laughs> are we talking arenas? You know, I would have just said, oh, really? Great. Uh, excellent. I mean, I idolised comedians as a child and uh, and still, to a certain extent, do. Um, so I think all of that worrying about it is sort of worrying about scale, isn't it? It's just, hmm. you know, for me being a comedian that gets to say what he wants and do gigs and receive some monies obviously it becomes harder to worry uh, about your artistic integrity versus your revenue whatever it would be great to have the power of choice you know I really want to be mortgage free (laughs) (laughs) that's the short answer to be a mortgage free comedian I think would be just paradise but uh, no I don't really worry about arenas versus thousand seaters or two hundred seaters or you know I just I yeah occasionally I feel a bit overlooked but um, as we've discussed I'm sure everyone does Hmm. and I'm sure the people I'm sure there's a there's also a bit of people feeling um that they're going to get found out and it's, it's incredibly <laughs> bipolar to feel overlooked and that you might get caught out but I think that's the weird sort of slipstream that most comedians are operating in you know I totally <laughs> agree because I mean, it's all smoke and mirrors isn't it it's all talking out loud but for me the idea the thing of it that was so attractive was not having to to have a life like not having to have a job just going what I can make a living by being me or a version of me and my experiences become Mm. like the the content that's and now it's almost um, it's almost full circle in that like originally it was I don't have to do anything and that makes up my art if you like all of that goes in and now it's almost the other way where you kind of force yourself to do things because you don't want to be one of those um, really self-indulged comedians that all all their material is about hotels and trains and dressing rooms and mm. there's, a, there's a sort of a thing of forcing yourself to have a life isn't there going I need a day off and I want to you know have a family and do normal things and be be a person which I now really like you know if you told the, the teenage me that I would be the kind of man who happily talks about how many miles to the gallon a car will get, I would have been horrified. We do happily talk about those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but in a weird way, that I find that quite inclusive as well, because, 
you know, actually, I felt such an outsider growing up that doing inclusive... I have a theory that the observational comics that are saying, hey, why do we all do this? I think they started as the biggest outsiders and they love this inclusion of going, oh, we all eat a peach over the sink, don't we? Mm. You guys are just like me. And I think they're the ones that were in the corner of the playground thinking, why am I so different? You know, I think, you know... I personally felt like that, but I had a slightly weird upbringing, and it was very. It, I moved about a lot, so I started lots of new schools, okay. um, and uh, and I had, you know, points of difference like a Scottish accent in English schools, and mm-hmm. my dad had died, and the other pupils knew that. So there was lots of things that made me feel different, and now I suppose feeling like I can join even if it's with businessmen talking about what miles to the gallon their fucking Vauxhall Vectra gets there's still a bit of me that thinks oh this is sort of you know togetherness I'm like a normal guy here for a split second I'm fascinated by that idea of whether the comedian as a person is, is an outsider or an insider I think we're outsiders looking in I really do I think and and even to the point where I was speaking to somebody the other day and they said, oh, wow, you must have so much free time. And you think, yeah, it sounds like that when you're a teenager. You're like, oh, yeah, you'll only work at night time. And you think, great, I'll hang out with my mates all day. And you mm. go, no, that's when your mates will be working. And when mm. they get home, you'll be getting in the car to go somewhere. That's how it is. You know, we're upside down. There was times in, in the past where I'd not really spoken until arriving at a gig that night and you think you spend all down your own then you tell your thoughts to 400 people and then sometimes you're out the door and on a tube not speaking to people with your headphones on or whatever and you think this is a bit weird and imbalanced isn't it it's not that is a bit upside down isn't it there is mm. a definite upside down topsy-turviness to it as a lifestyle that I think is probably quite sensible to try and arrest yeah. as much as possible so you try to have as much of a normal life as you can yeah I mean I don't feel particularly normal but I also feel like I I have a, a sense of normality like I quite like it when I get reviewed as down to earth comedian <laughs> which I am yeah because all my school reports were head in the clouds idiot daydreamer doesn't work hard enough you know and and I was probably that kid that was just looking out the window and not listening and having silly daydreams. So I quite like it now that I've kind of grounded myself <laughs> to become a normal comic. Something I've been asking people to do, or occasionally, what I remember, is... is where I take my jeans off. If you, no. Yes, come on. Um, <laughs> Is, uh, is to look at something you're working on at the moment oh, and sort of explain what you're going to... what the next step is with it. Uh, have you got, like, a notebook on you? Have you got a thing or an yeah, idea? Yeah, your microphone's you balanced on it. This could oh, be there we go. All right. Um, OK. I, uh, I think it's be quite interesting to sort of look at the words as they are now and then explore yeah. what's going to happen with them next. I actually have the set list for tomorrow night's um, thing on it. Oh, there we go. Improvements. Spoiler. Spoiler, go on. I've written the word improvements dash spoiler, and that's because it struck me as I was driving the other day that it's ironic that people that put spoilers on their cars are trying to improve them. 
and yet it couldn't be clearer, could it? It's called a spoiler. And it ruins your car. It's yeah. <laughs> a spoiler off cars. So that's that's just, I mean, that's I've written it down like two words, improvement, spoiler. Okay, but so the next thing you'll do is go and talk around that subject. Possibly, yeah. Or, or possibly I'll disregard it and think this is shit. <laughs> uh, but maybe what, what might happen is I could try it at a new material night, think it's awful, and then in three years time I might be doing some other material about cars and think oh there was that spoiler thing wasn't there yeah and also I have a thing at the moment where if I'm driving and there's people in the car and we go past the car with a spoiler I will mutter spoiler alert (laughs) 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 And, and so like it could be that the improvements that are actually spoiling things could then become like a bit about Spoilers, which could then become people that get their houses stone cladded, is another thing that they spend money on trying yeah. to improve their house, and actually it spoils it. So it could be, it could become a bit. That's so then the bit is spoiler alert, and it's all the things that people do yeah. that spoil things. Yeah. yeah. yeah okay. So, I mean, I've talked to Mickey about this quite a bit as well. That uh, that I'm kind of attracted to bits that are clumps of jokes together. So you would sort of cluster spoiler alert and spoilers and and so it's the power of the monologue isn't it I'm not Mm. a one liner guy I'm a guy who has little bits that's like hey these are my thoughts on this chunk of thing Um, see that's the process really it begins with a scribble or sometimes it begins with a text message or it might even be in my notes in my phone I'll see if I've got some that are uh, sort of typical of what my um, things that I would write down are Uh, oh there we go uh, I've got in my notes in my phone squishy face and a woman in the street who walked like she had wet hands that's, <laughs> uh, that, the squishy face is an old bit of material I've heard you do the squishy face that yeah. I used to do that again happened to me in the street I walked past somebody who had a squished up face and I thought oh some people have got squished up faces I could talk about that but then the other day I literally saw somebody who walked as if as if their hands as if were they were wet. flicking water off their hands. Yeah, okay. yeah. It was just a weird walk. But you know, sometimes people hold their hands slightly higher if they're yeah. wet. And that could be the beginning of a routine for me. Like that could be, it could be the beginning of uh, a routine in a bathroom, or it could be the beginning of uh, a routine about how people walk differently. I don't know what it will be yet, but that's the genesis. Of do you it, do you have sort of um, normal routes that you would take? Do you do you kind of try and Say a route that you could take on that might be to go, okay, why why have they done that? Like to interrogate, what why is someone doing that? What is another reason? What's a true reason they might be doing that? What's a false reason they might be doing that? Do you, or, or do you kind of... I don't know. I suppose what I'm asking is, do, do you have certain strategies, like take an idea and oh, turn it upside down? cynical and, and awful. <laughs> no, it would like going, hey, what... What, who's a celebrity that everybody has a go at? Lindsay Lohan. I mean, you know, these people that just churn out jokes sure, about sure. things that are meant to be I, funny. I think... It's the antithesis of that. I think it's entirely I'm possible to have a strategy without it being like that. Like, a strategy <laughs> might be something that we've discussed in the past, which is when comparing, asking provocative questions of the audience. Right. That then let them say something surprising. 
Oh, okay. Do you know what I mean? Like that yeah. might be a strategy rather than just coming out and going, so, so give us a cheer if you've, like, you know, that's a lazy strategy. There are lazy ones and there, yeah. are, there are less lazy ones. Yeah, no, I, I, you'd think I'd have a system by now. <laughs> but I'm not really a systems person. <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's slightly more, I mean, it might come to nothing or it might be my next big bit. Look out for, um, have you seen Alan Cochran's wet hands? Bit? The wet hands stuff. <laughs> the wet hands thing. But as it happens, I have a big bit at the moment that is about how we slightly judge each other on what we drink, like tea mm-hmm. and coffee and people that get red wine stains on their mouth and stuff. So it's And it's quite a long, layered bit. But I believe that started with a bit that has now completely fallen away from the routine. When I met a, a builder who had three sugars in his tea, and I remember thinking, oh, I haven't met somebody that has three for ages. <laughs> and, uh, and feeling a bit middle class about it. Oh, three? Oh, how ghastly, you know. And, and when I started doing it, it was, it was about sugar in tea. And then it kind of moved along and I dropped the bit about build. I used to do a thing where it was weird that it seems strange that you would take it from a manual labourer wouldn't you take them having three sugars but if you were meeting an expensive solicitor and you went in and and they went Janet can I have a tea with three please (laughs) you'd think you're not a lawyer (laughs) you're not a real you're a builder that's got a suit on stop ripping me off and and yet it was it was weird because that I don't know maybe it's um, I think it's fine and I quite like it but it probably just fell away because it wasn't being funny enough or perhaps some rougher gigs thought that I was being a middle class snob Mm. um, which I find weird because I don't feel middle class but Mm. I can see how people could perceive me as middle class because I'm talking about the minutiae so Mm. you know it probably seems quite a comfortable upbringing that has led to someone discussing pizza toppings and peaches and kids and car MPGs or whatever you know tea and coffee uh, but that that sort of thing happens quite often to me where it'll fall away and then someone will say oh, are you still doing that bit about the sugar in tea and I'll go no mm. I'm not and they'll go oh, I really like that when I saw mm. you do it and I always feel like oh you mean I've kept the shit bit <laughs> oh, <no>, again <laughs> you, uh, you mentioned Mickey earlier on Michael Flanagan Michael Flanagan Mickey. Esquire um, i when I first met you and you assumed that kind of, in my eyes, that kind of mentor role, yeah. I assumed that Mickey had a similar role with you. Is that right? Is that uh, sort of case? I mean, he's been going a bit longer than you. Yeah, he's definitely You were mates with him out, sort of outside of gigs. We, we're mates. We did um, the Big Value comedy show oh, in that was it, yeah. 2001. Um, and our, our social paths crossed. He moved to the area of London that I was living in with his girlfriend now wife and then our wives and uh you know our friends became friends with each mm. other i suppose so so yeah he has that and i've always really liked what he does because i just wonder if there's i'm oh, sorry i'm interrupting you again no, i think i think you're gonna say what i'm gonna say i think i think there's parallels between how he works and how you work yeah i think i think we both like people being funny about their lives you know I think uh, it's all kind of life experience going in and then being turned into jokes but mm-hmm. I imagine Mickey you know if you said to him okay I want ten jokes about Lindsay Lohan I imagine he'd be depressed and sullen about it but I think he's more than capable <laughs> of writing ten yeah. joke jokes it's just that it's not that interesting to him because yeah. 
he would rather be you know a really funny man about yes. life um, and that's the sort of stand up that I'm drawn to maybe that's why the one liners guy I sometimes just tune out a bit much though I like it uh, for a short while there is a bit of it that is like a parlour game isn't it it's like sure. there is a point where you go oh okay so now I know that you can put loads of conflicting yes. sentences together yes okay you could have equally done a cigar box routine for me <laughs> you know what I mean yeah 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 um, I, I ruined I'm sorry I haven't a clue for myself by the first time I got an iPod I downloaded all of I'm sorry I haven't a clue really and then it just came on on random in the car and by the time you you just hear it over and over again yeah, yeah. not Hump's amazing introductory yeah. bits which are just timeless and brilliant yeah, yeah. but all of the stuff it was kind of and brilliant jokes that everyone Barry and everyone else was coming out with yeah, but yeah. The, just to, I, would listen, I listen to far too much of it yeah. and you end up not knowing it becomes frustrating like, there's another idea smashed together and another idea smashed together it's right. like watching it, it started to feel like watching bad um, uh, performance art where right. they've gone it's a pair of shoes full of milk which represents anything it's uh, a sewing machine made of jelly which could mean anything you know it's like is that familiarity breeds contempt though you just OD'd on it and yeah well that's it you probably yeah 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 you just don't listen to any for ages and come yeah, back as a yeah fan. yeah absolutely that's, that's the tactic but yeah I, I mean it sounds really self important but this is the place for it is that you know at my most self indulgent I do think I really like stand up that is a way of processing life like I really like it when people are trying to figure it out and like I have a bit at the moment that, that I thought I mean at it's worst it's probably what Jeremy Clarkson does in those twatty books of you know how did it end up like this <laughs> and, and that, that I'm not especially pleased the by the thinking man's Jeremy Clarkson but at it's, at it's best I really like material that is this is how we exist is it not silly and absurd and I have a bit about uh, there being a TV advert for an air freshener that has six different smell settings and one of them is open window <laughs> that's not real it is real is it real yeah, oh my god real. But, but it's one of those ones where you go you know the the whole population could watch that advert and never think that is weird like that's, yes. that's the point where yes. like I become a comedian by going what are the other settings on it like potpourri and like smelly fart or you know there's yeah. there's a way of going well I've I've added I've seen that and that's been the the taper lit but then I've been the explosion <laughs> like, yeah if I could get more violent imagery I'd be impressed I love it Alan <laughs> I am the explosion Cochran, there we go show oh, title dear. sorted 2013 yeah yeah but I I do at my most self-indulgent I do think I like stand-up that is about life you know I'm not one that's particularly bothered if people want to talk about you know I don't mind some surreal humour but one of the problems now of course is that we get uh, a sort of a knee-jerk version of surreal don't we we don't get Mm. what surreal is meant to be which Mm. is the super real isn't it so it's sort of realism to the point of it being slightly frightening and strange and absurd but actually what we get is some cunt in jeans talking about squirrels <laughs> <laughs> right there we go an hour in we're finally getting to the real stuff <laughs> no but that's what you know I, I wouldn't mind if surreal comedy comedy was about that but you know some of them are uh, less so let's say how do you 
how do you relate to the comedy community to other comedians do you feel do you feel you've got a place in it do you feel what's I, what are your feelings about I it? imagine they're all gathered right now wondering <laughs> why I'm invisible <laughs> uh, no I feel like I have a place in it um I I have uh, I, I genuinely and sincerely think it is a privilege that by being a comedian if you're any good you end up with some fucking funny friends <laughs> I think I think that's one of the joys of it is like you know if I look through my iPhone there's some really funny people in there and and that probably wouldn't happen if I was a drama teacher or mm. you know if, if I was a hod carrier then it might but it might not equally I think sometimes like people with real work stories they've only got really a good ten minutes and then uh, <laughs> then they're out aren't they? do you ever feel like there is any danger that you might run out of funny uh, yes and no go on I think I think it's slightly um, uh, undulating one's self-confidence in one's funniness, you know. I uh, I mean, I hate it in a way when I absolutely smash a gig that I sometimes think, oh, God, you probably don't get that many of those absolute smashes. <laughs> it would be really handy if that had come along at a gig that was rammed with Industry, you and know. you might have you know, the thing that you've used up that go. Yeah, yeah. I've yeah. Used up, like, <laughs> like you know, if you only got like twenty in your life that were absolute like double A barnstormers, like I'm not sure if uh, if I have, I might not have used any of my twenty. <laughs> but but yeah, I, I suppose I think um, I think I have a pretty good gauge of of where I. Am in the food chain, and 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 actually, I think I've got, uh, people sometimes say I'm a bit harsh on myself after gigs, but I think I've got a pretty good gauge of how well I think I've done. You know, I'm not one of those acts that has done six out of ten and thinks it's a nine, mm-hmm. um, and nor I don't think am I one of those acts that's done a nine and thinks it's a four because mm. they're a fucking pain to be around. <laughs> <as well>. um, <laughs> but I think. I would really worry if I thought my gauge was going, you know, if, if I became one of those old comics that's a bit punch drunk and thinks they're having stormers when actually they're coping. Yeah. That, I, I shudder about that. That would make me paranoid. But I think actually the way of not being like that is to constantly refresh your stuff so that you know what old stuff doing well sounds like and new stuff doing well and new stuff doing badly and old stuff do. As long as you keep hearing the sounds of mm. what different bits of the palette do I think you're probably alright in in your in your 20 at the moment I mean do, do you have a 20 at the moment are you sort of that's interesting I've never this... been a comic that okay. has a, a, a very strict 20 I usually know what I'll go off on roughly or uh, usually if I go on to do a 20 I did three 20s last weekend so this is quite okay. a good time to ask me this usually I will have one or two different uh, reasonably big routines that could be the closing bit um, but at the moment because I'm not doing tons and tons of club stand up sometimes uh, a crowd pleasing 20 is the bit that I don't have you know sometimes I can do <clears throat> a week where I do 
a Radio 4 show, mm. a corporate event, an hour long tour show, or more than an hour, and then Frank's radio show on Saturday mornings, and then I'm suddenly in a 20 minute gig, mm. and I'm not ring rusty, I've done five other things that week, Yeah. but suddenly I'm in front of people that are weekendy out, Yeah. the kind of people that respond to different things, and, and sometimes it would be really handy to have a 20 that I just knew off by heart, and here's mm. the stuff, and I'm done. But I'm much more fluid about it. I I will find myself going into routines just because they're coming out of my mouth, you know. Um, what what would you like to know about my well, supposed circuit twenty? What I was going to ask was how much of it is from which of your previous hours? Like how old is it? And it does it obviously it sort of changes yeah from from gig to gig. But I I. I I think what I'm getting at is I sometimes feel that the Edinburgh system is really screwed up yes. because you spend a year writing a show for Edinburgh mm-hmm. and then after Edinburgh you don't work on those bits necessarily. I don't work on those bits necessarily because I regard them as finished. I can't oh. do them at Edinburgh again so they're a waste of time to do in part of the, the long run-up process. I totally agree. Uh, now, I didn't used to, I totally agree with you. And uh, the I did three sets on the weekend. I used stuff from the last show I did uh, but also because I'm doing this telly thing tomorrow night in two of them I went back uh, perhaps a year or two years to some baby stuff that I used to do because Mm. I was dusting it off and adding a few jokes so that probably the oldest stuff in it would have been three years in fact maybe even more there might have been because I now sometimes open with a joke about living in Manchester and that's a weird thing because I used to do it when I was visiting Manchester about mm. if you get drunk with Mancunians one of them turns into a donkey You get they come back from the round they buy a round and they come back and give you a beer and they go yeah. and it's, it's a really naff little yeah. like, I thought it was a bit of local and then I ended up with it in a story about Manchester that I was doing at the time and it became like a banker within the story and then I started moving it to the start because I realised that I could do it at the start, say it's a naff joke joke, and then I could do a thing that's more about me. In fact, I do that open window thing after it sometimes where I say, oh, I prefer stand-ups about life, like what's yeah. what, what, what have we done to the world? And so there's three or four what have we done to the world things. Um, but that's quite old. But I sometimes think you don't have to chuck the baby out with the bathwater. If a bit's yeah. old and works, you can keep it. And I'm not one of those comics that's got really old stuff. Um, but I, in a 20-minute on the circuit, I think it's fine to do stuff that's going to work. You know, yeah. you don't sort of get any prizes for dying, especially not if I'm not <laughs> going up to Edinburgh. There's, sure. There's no sort of big arty woo-hoo. Yeah. Um, I'm slightly different in corporate environment because they've written a cheque and you definitely don't get prizes for dying. There's yeah. no art is not a part of it. Effectiveness is the big part of it. So in that environment, I have a much shallower pool of material, but it's much more dependable and accessible. Mm. Um, and and it is older, some of it, mm. and because I've been doing it a while, it's gag heavy. Uh, and I like it I really like doing it I love going oh these jokes will probably work that's, that's it it's, it's a really to, nice feeling it's trying to get back to 
to doing stand up in order to make people laugh as opposed yeah. to doing stand up in order to practice a bit for another thing that's part of something else I, I wonder sometimes totally. if I haven't got it all like if I'm I'm training myself into that thing of I have to do an Edinburgh hour every yeah. year and actually if you if I didn't go up to that festival at all I wonder how different I would be as a comic Yeah, I mean it's good to be stretched in all those different ways but uh-huh. at the same time I think next year I'm going to have a year off yeah, and I think that's part of the process as well to go it's not just about you know maybe we should be writing set lists based on or scribbling or whatever a set list based on topics you know you were saying you had a bit about babies yeah you know it's not I shouldn't be going on going this bit's four years old that bit's one year old this bit's not ready yet no do you know what I mean so much as going what do I want to talk about to these people yeah I, I think so but it's a false ending, isn't it? It's a, it's a weird false ending. There's a lot about Edinburgh that isn't quite right, but, you know, you and I can't change it this afternoon. I, like, an hour, I don't think, is quite right yeah. for a person on their own. I think 45-minute shows or an hour and 20 shows might be more applicable, but it's just weird. Mm. I, I don't think... Um, I don't think we're going to fix it, though. <laughs> but I do have... I mean... The worst gig of the three that I did over the weekend was the last one, and unbeknown to me, the double up that I was doing. I went on first in Leicester and had a great time, and in Nottingham, I didn't realise that the double up was tight and the Leicester show had started late. Hmm. So by the time I got there, the audience had had an hour long interval. Whoa. And it was on last. Yeah. Um, and and it was really interesting because uh, they, it was that smudge start that you see every now and again on, on stand-up stages where I kind of went hello I've travelled from Manchester this weekend to do gigs and someone cheered and I went oh have we got a Mancunian in over there and they didn't answer and I could feel this pissed audience that had waited for me for an hour thinking what's this like, yeah. and nothing had happened yet yeah yeah and maybe that was the problem that nothing had happened yet but there was still so much chatter that for anything to happen would have been kind of chucking it away like you kind of need focus before you do anything in those rough rooms sometimes Um, and it was wasn't a bun fight but it was just a lot of really pissed people and me shouting some stuff at them it felt like that's how I feel when when gigs are a bit pressurised I feel like oh I'm shouting my best gear at you and and moving on so it sort of becomes like Um, so that one I went back to some older stuff and then back forward again to some stuff that I wanted to dust off and so it was all a bit higgledy-piggledy which is possibly my fault Um, but I think it is when I tour I have a much more organised set list Hmm. like in Edinburgh shows and touring shows uh, I I fire it out pretty much in an order um, with moments of chat as well but uh, I, I don't I don't get kind of I don't start doing a bit because it pops into my head at that point like I would with a 20 does that answer the question it feels like an incredibly boring answer <laughs> I don't think so I don't think so I think uh, the I think the geeky comedy nerd listenership of this podcast will regard that as fascinating oh really <laughs> um, yeah I mean I usually have two or three chunky big bits that could be the second half of a 20 so I always remember you telling me at Edinburgh whenever we've talked about the last couple of years whenever we've talked about how the readiness of our Edinburgh shows oh yeah you, you're very fond of saying it can always do with three more good bits everybody yeah yeah every comic I know could do with three more good big bits <laughs> <laughs> and I don't mean like 
that I think they're shit and they need three more big bits. I imagine all of us there. are constantly thinking. Oh, it's it's always the answer to the question: How are you doing? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but that's part of it, isn't it? It's um, it's it's one of the things that I find actually quite uh, enlightening about it. Like, I love the fact that I don't do Sudoku. Like, because I have this constant puzzle to work on, which is stand-up comedy. Like, there's no point in me sitting on a train with a pen and doing a Sudoku because I get all those fucking buzzes from going, oh, that um, that thing that I used to do about that that never really worked. I could bolt that onto that new bit about Tony Blair. And then I would have a Tony Blair pizza routine. That'll be the best thing ever. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's sort of, um, you know, I can. People say, "What have you been doing?" And I can say, "I've done nothing." But actually, I've I've sat yeah. and really. So I, I I just really like the fact that hopefully I'll always need three more big bits the rest of my life. That would be great. In a weird way, when when you say. What do you actually want from your career? <laughs> In an odd way, I want to keep going and constantly have to puzzle out this fucking conundrum that is stand-up comedy. So that was Alan. Uh, the ending was a little bit abrupt there. Sorry about that. The proper goodbye is on the extra content. There's another 25 minutes or so of my conversation with Alan, uh, which includes us talking about how deaths on stage are part of the process. Uh, Alan's challenge, he challenged himself to write a show made out of one-liners, and that was a very interesting journey. I'm sorry I didn't have time to put it on the main show, but I'm, I'm trying to keep them to an hour. Um, so Alan talking about one-liners and his problems with them, with writing, with performing with them, and uh, the I should say challenges rather than problems, but I I think he would say problems but that's very very interesting to hear someone go totally against the grain of their experience and, and really push themselves uh, he'll be uh, there's a wonderful quote on what Alan considers to be the problem with observational comedy and we also discussed the importance of always having three more always needing three more good bits that can all be found at comedianscomedian.com backslash Alan which of course is spelt as Alan spelling that's A-L-U-N a-L-U-N so comedianscomedian.com backslash Alan A-L-U-N for all the extra stuff thank you very much as ever to To Entertain Dan Melrose for the music Graham Crockford for help with the sound and web nerd stuff have a wonderful summer hopefully you'll hear from Liam Malone in a fortnight and if you're going to Edinburgh have a fantastic time if you're not you bastards enjoy it <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.